0: You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. Some years ago, Dr. Carl Menninger, noted doctor and psychologist, was seeking the cause of many of his patients' ills. One day he called in his clinical staff and proceeded to unfold a plan for developing in his clinic an atmosphere of creative love. All patients were to be given large quantities of love. No unloving attitudes were to be displayed in the presence of the patients, and all nurses and doctors were to go about their attitude in and out of various rooms with a loving attitude. The findings. At the end of only six months, the time spent by patients in the institution was cut in half. Because how many of us know that love is transformative? Love has the unmatched ability not only to conform, but transform. Love brings healing to a wounded heart. Love can renew aching bones and revive tired muscles. We're living in a time where many humans desire to be transformed, to be changed. Many have made vision boards and New Year's resolutions for change. Many of us have set goals for ourselves and long to improve ourselves. Spouses might want a couple of their significant other's habits to change. Parents may want their children's shenanigans at school to change. But what's often forgotten is that true transformation must come on the backside of real love. Church family, can I give you the good news of the Christian faith up front? Through the love of Jesus in the gospel, you and I have been transformed. We've been made new, amen? We're a new creation in Christ, amen? Through the love of Jesus, we've been graced with new identity. Through the love of Jesus, we've been called to new gospel activity. And if you look down your row, through the love of Jesus, you've been drawn into a new community. We're now members of the covenant family of God, the fellowship of believers. But it begs the question, how are we who have been transformed by the gospel supposed to live in this gospel-believing family? Truly, this is what Apostle Peter addressed in his first letter to the churches of the dispersion. Peter is writing to a group of Christians known as elect exiles. What a name. Rejected by the world, but elected by the Father. And Peter writes to encourage, despite being sojourners in the society, you're God's chosen instrument to bring good news to the nations. Like you and I, they've been chosen by the grace of God. Ransomed by the precious blood of christ born again to a living hope to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading they've been pulled from all different backgrounds and brought under the one banner of the lord jesus and now they're members of god's own family and this new status in god's family should lead to some new habits in god's family therefore while while Peter wrote in verses 13 through 19 about the church's conduct in the public sphere, he shifts his focus today to focus on our conduct in relation to one another. Peter is concerned with our witness outside the church, but doesn't want us to become laxed in our love inside the church. As the family of God, we're called to live distinct, faithful lives as we await and anticipate our heavenly reward. How are we who have been transformed by the gospel, supposed to live in this gospel-believing family. Well, this text teaches us in a sentence. Our transformation in Christ should lead to genuine and lasting love for one another. In our passage today, Peter, Peter shows us the importance of real love. And he opens by telling us, since we've been cleansed by the gospel, we ought to show genuine love to brothers and sisters who share in the gospel. Verse 22, he begins, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. In the very first verse of the passage, friends, Peter gives you and me shout-worthy news that as God's people who have been wonderfully loved by the Lord, our souls have been purified. That word purified, I love it. It has rich biblical history and imagery. To purify paints the picture of being cleansed, refined, set apart from former impurity, and devoted to God himself. To to purify is to cause to be morally pure, to remove contaminants and make anew. And Peter wants you and I to know from the beginning that by our obedience to the truth, the good news of Christ, We have purified and cleansed our souls from past impurity. We've been given a new heart. We've been given a clean soul. This is beautiful because does anybody remember what your heart was like before you met Jesus? Before you obeyed the gospel, your heart was filled with impure motives, sinful desires, harmful lusts, and selfish ambition. Prior to following Jesus, the way we spoke and felt towards other humans was partial and prideful. But when we heard that good news, that we were dead in trespasses and sins, following the ways of the world, but out of the mercy of God, he sent his son Jesus to give himself on the cross for our sin, resurrect on the third day in order to forgive us and reconcile us back to the Father. When we submitted to that truth, our souls were purified. By the grace of God, his word has cleansed us. The gospel message has changed us. The gospel has transformed our minds, our desires, and actions. The gospel has reoriented our lifestyle. Often the belief is that if I just dig down deep enough, try harder, and work more diligently, I will be capable of renewing myself. But may we at the 930 service be the first to admit that we did try harder. If we could clean our hearts up, we would have done it in 2005. Though it has only been the love of God poured into our souls that has cleansed our souls, changed our hearts, transformed our lives. Is there anybody in the church thankful that you're not the same person that you used to be? Anybody thankful that you've got a clean soul? Anybody who will praise Jesus that by your obedience to the gospel, you now have a clean heart? the purpose of this purification, Peter says, is that we would have sincere love for one another. Sincere brotherly love, that the gospel would compel us, push us to love one another deeply with the love of Christ. You see, transformation in Christ is not only for personal holiness or merely having a nicer looking family, But Christian living is incomplete if we are not changed in how we view and treat fellow believers. Wasn't it our Lord himself who said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another? And likewise John the beloved disciple said, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God for whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Therefore, because God our Father is love and we are recipients of his love expressed in the gospel, he's positioned you and I to model to the world what true love is. Furthermore, since we're now members of God's family, there are familial obligations that come with it, including sincere love in the community of faith. Thus, Peter gives the charge Having prepared yourselves to love, love one another deeply from your new hearts. Inside the four walls of the church, outside in your community, in your home, love one another. Love each other fully and rightly as the family of God. This this includes cultivating affection for each other and loving action towards each other. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. Be devoted and loyal to one another. As one commentator wrote, nobody knows the importance of community better than exiles living in a foreign land. For community gives refuge, strength, and identity. Therefore, for support in here, and mission to our neighbors, we must follow Jesus' example by truly loving one another. And while the call to love the church can become familiar, Peter gives two distinctives of our love that can easily be neglected, yet are crucial for us as a missional community. First, our love is to be sincere. Having purified your souls for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. To love sincerely is to let it be authentic, genuine, real, without hypocrisy or pretense. We know that pretense is attempting to make something that is not true appear that it is, which is what Jesus, Jesus often preached against in the Pharisees and the scribes of his day. Peter says that our love ought to be without pretense. Our love is to be without play acting or pretending. Because Peter knows that even as the redeemed people of God, people who know where to love each other, it can be easy for our love to become automated instead of sincere. We know cognitively we're supposed to love without truly loving each other. We can desire to be known by others as loving and will say loving phrases, do loving actions, even throw on a nice Christian loving face before church without actually having love in our souls for those we interact with. And then we end up loving out of obligation for our reputation instead of gospel transformation. It becomes faked for our own gain instead of from a pure heart, Peter says. Her name was Marie, a young woman who had recently broken off her engagement with her fiance. A short while after the breakup, she wanted to write this letter of lament to her ex. Dearest Jimmy, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I felt since breaking our engagement. Please take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart, so please forgive me, I love you. I love you, I love you, yours forever, Marie. P.S. and congratulations on winning that state lottery. (laughs) Friends, this is not sincere love. But what Peter is doing is pushing you and me towards love that is real. Love that is not only in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Thus the question becomes for you and me, Is your love for people authentic? Is it for real or for your reputation here at Grace? Has Jesus actually transformed the way that you love others? Peter tells us first, our love is to be sincere. However, our love is also to be earnest. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Earnest speaks to the depth and the duration of our love. Our love in the church ought to be strenuous and deep. There has to be some effort. But in the same way, it should be constant and enduring until the end. Our our love should be unshaken by adversity and unmoved by circumstances. This is what Paul meant when he said, Bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Surely earnest and constant love in the Christian community is very hard. There's struggle and strife. Like any relationship, when imperfect sinners are involved, it's going to require extreme work. And because of this, people who belong in the community are tired and would rather distance themselves from the communal aspect of the faith because of these hard relationships. I'm on the college campus, so I understand it completely. But Peter reminds you and me that what will enable us to love one another earnestly is seeing ourselves as the family that we truly are. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, when, when we recall how we've been brought into the family of God. Because as a family, you, you don't give up on one another when seasons get rough. A family continues to love through the pains and challenges of life because they understand that they're tied to one another. This is the same love we're to have in God's family. As a parent who would never give up on your child, extend just the measure of that same faithfulness to those in the church. To my young people with siblings, I have a younger sister, we're two years in apart. I, I've heard all 27 years of life, Chris, stop touching my stuff, you're it. now you're in my personal space, poking me when I don't wanna be poked and, and you just wanna say, ah! But even after you argue and get annoyed with your sibling, aren't y'all still family at the end of the day? May we have the same attitude towards our brothers and sisters in the Lord, earnest love, constant love for one another. Who in the Christian community can you work towards loving better? If the gospel has truly purified your heart, you can work at loving your brothers and sisters earnestly, though it definitely will not be easy. For this love is essential to our cohesion and mission as the family of God. But where does this love come from in such difficult times as we're in today? How is this deep love even possible? Well, Peter goes on to tell us that Christian love that lasts forever comes from the word of God, which lasts forever. Verse 23, watch it, Peter says, love one another since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Peter explains that we're able to show genuine and lasting love towards one another as a result of our new birth in God. As Christians, we've been born again, ah, isn't that cool, regenerated, given spiritual rebirth. Thus, our love is a byproduct of this rebirth. We're a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Not only have we been born again, but we've been born again by a seed that lasts forever. Not a perishable seed that's subject to decay with the passage of time, but a seed that is imperishable, eternal, permanent, keeps on going. And the seed that has caused us to be born again is the living and abiding word of God. God's word has given us new life in Christ. God's word empowers us to love one another. The word is enduring. It stands over culture. It outlasts worldly powers and human glory. And to illustrate this point, Peter Peter is in his bag. He's going to Isaiah when he says in verse 24 and 25, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The, The grass withers. And the flowers fall but the word of the lord remains forever and this word is the good news that was preached to you as one scholar put it peter quotes isaiah to contrast the frailty of human nature with the permanence of god's word all people all humanity are like grass they last for a season and then are gone all their glory the human beauty the splendor the fame As grass withers and the flowers fall, so humans' glory and greatness quickly disappear. And Peter's words here are crucial because for the Christians in 1 Peter, they're discouraged and despondent at the social situation that surrounds them. Remember, they're foreigners in a world that is not their home, outcasts in a non-Christian society where the power and glory and opposition of the culture seem as if they'll last forever. But Peter reassures them, That humanity is frail, like the flowers of grass, the glory, power, achievements, and accolades of the surrounding culture will not remain, but they're on borrowed time. Therefore, believers ought to hold fast to the eternal word that will remain the gospel. And so it is with you and me. There are are realities in society that discourage us trials and troubles in our lives that appear as if they'll last forever. For it was the urban apologetic J. Cole who rapped, the bad news is nothing lasts forever, and the good news is nothing lasts forever. But might I submit to you that there is one thing that will last forever, one thing that will remain, one thing that when everything else falls and fails, it still holds its power, and it is the living and abiding word of God the gospel of the Lord Jesus, and and since the gospel remains forever, we who have been born anew will not fade, but, but will remain forever as well. We have eternal life in God. Christ will be faithful to save us at his return, so we ought to love one another because we've been born again by God's word, which stands forever. Now, exactly how do we live this out? How, how can we become the kind of church family that practices sincere and lasting love towards one another? Well, Peter moves and calls us to cast off the sins that inhibit love and yearn for the gospel that grows our love. Verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2 read, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, excuse me, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the lord is good in order to have sincere and lasting love among fellow believers it it requires that we reject and get rid of literally take off like a garment all the actions that inhibit love in our community notice peter lists not the grosser vices of society but the destroyers of church community, the spoilers of church community. Each one addresses our relationships ways that are antithetical to the love Peter has just called us to in verse 22. Malice, using your words to deliberately inflict pain on someone else, it destroys fellowship. Deceit, speaking or acting with ulterior motives, avoiding the honest truth, It's a violation of what speech was meant to do. Hypocrisy, insincerity, inconsistency between what we say and what we do, our lives at church and our lives at home. Envy, the displeasure at the success and possessions of another and the desire to see those things destroyed, failing to recognize that God is enough and has definitely given you more than enough we know the disastrous consequences of envy. Slander, speaking to undermine somebody's character, whether it be gossiping behind their back or insulting them to their face. How many of us have experienced such things in a friend group, in a workplace, a ministry, on social media, where the community was spoiled? While these sins are consistent throughout our world today, Peter says that These are actually inconsistent for the community of faith. We are born-again Christians, children of God, sanctified by the Spirit, secured by His grace. We've been chosen in Christ by His love and called to imitate His love. Friends, what what would it be like if we lived according to a different standard? If the world was so captivated by our speech, having the best interests of each other, that it drew them into our fellowship. What if the love we experience in the Christian community was distinctly different from every other place in our lives? You ask Chris, how do we get there? Well, well, Peter tells us how to grow. Like newborn infants, what a picture. Long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. The phrase pure spiritual milk refers to God's word, the gospel. Peter says to crave it, to long for it, to yearn so that you may grow deeper in it, rooted and built up in Christ, established in the faith. Just as the gospel was the means of our rebirth, the gospel is also the means of our nourishment. The word has power. It's it's how we mature putting off these sins. We aren't to leave the gospel behind. Me personally, I love Reformed theology. I'm not supposed to leave the gospel behind but to go back again and again because it's only by the gospel that I'll mature in the faith. Notice Peter likens you and me to newborn infants who have a strong desire for the nourishment of milk. He says, as an infant has a strong desire for nourishment, because it's an absolute necessity. God's word is not optional for the Christian, but is essential. As an infant must properly be nourished to grow healthy, so it is with the believer. Therefore, as an infant cries out for food, we're to cry out for the word. As an infant yearns for nourishment, you and I are to yearn for the word of God, so that we might be strong in the faith, courageous, wise, joyful, hope-filled, and spirit-led. Thus, here's the question, is that you this morning? Do you long for God's word? Do you hunger to hear his voice? Do you desire to sit at his feet with his gaze fixed upon you, having his full attention as you dive into his word with your coffee and your journal and your Bible? Do Do you love to sing songs from his word, meditating, Hearing his word preached, may that be our prayer this morning. Lord, no no longer do I want to be characterized by malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, but I want to yearn for your word so that I can be loved by you and grow in you. Why? Because I've tasted and seen. I've experienced the goodness of the Lord. Is there anybody who's tasted the goodness? Have you experienced his kindness? How you were wanted before you ever thought about the Lord. How, how you were separated from him, but Jesus gave his life so that y'all would be one again. How, how when you were his enemy, Jesus made you his friend. How he's achieved eternal life in security for you. Because when you experience the kindness of Jesus for yourself, not only does it make you want to grow deeper in his love, but doesn't it change the way you love one another? The greatest compliment I could ever receive. Chris... I can tell you've been spending time with Jesus because of how you've shown his love to me. Peter says that to love one another, we must long for the gospel to to mature us, to grow us. And as I close, you know how some preachers be like, I'm getting ready to close, and then they go for like 40 more minutes. (laughs) Friends, we are reminded today that God has brought us into his own family as sons and daughters. Through his loving kindness, God has chosen us, purified us, given us new birth and an eternal inheritance. And because of God's love, he cares about how we love one another in the church. Since we've been made new, we're to go and show genuine and lasting love towards each other. Love one another. You say, Chris, that's great, but I need an example. I need a model. I need a forerunner who went before me and led the way of lasting and genuine love. Well, friends, I'm glad you asked, because in John chapter 13, we've been given an example. Shortly before he would go to the cross, he called his disciples together for one last meal. Knowing that his hour had come to return to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He was committed to love despite the cup of suffering he was about to to partake of. Remember, this cup was not for his own wrongdoing, but he who knew no sin became sin for you and me. He was born on the backside of a barn in Bethlehem. He lived in humble obedience to the call of God. He healed the leper, raised the dead, gave sight to the blind, restored the broken. But it was there during supper that he fed the one who would soon betray him, where he took water and a cloth to wash his disciples' feet. This is the model that he left for you and me. And hours later, he would go to that cross, pleading, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The earthquake and the temple veil was torn they took him down and buried him in Joseph's tomb. Friday, wasn't it a sad day? Saturday wasn't all hope lost, but early? Somebody in the church say early. Sunday morning, didn't he get up? From the grave with all power in his hands, he saved us by his love. He secured our eternity in his love. And through the love of the Lord Jesus, you and I are now empowered to love. We love because he first loved us. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.com.